It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. One thing that I'm going to talk about today with the wonderful guest, Tammy, who's joining the show, is about shedding the shoulds, which I love that phrase. It is something that has been touched upon by at least one guest in the past. And I think it's a really important thing to discuss, especially for women who tend to feel like they should be living their life in a certain way. I don't know for sure that it's a gender issue, but as a woman, I feel like I've lived with so many shoulds. And should has become a word that I try hard to steer away from, similar to busy, (laughs) Tammy, I'm not sure about you, but I am really not a fan of the word busy because I feel like it actually has some similarities to the word should. So maybe we can start there because you're nodding your head. Does the word busy trigger you or bother you or kind of turn you off in the same way or similar ways as should does? Yes, I am nodding my head vigorously because yes, yes, yes. It comes from this kind of culture that we live in where we should be busy all the time. We should be doing things, doing more, doing it faster. So yeah, because we are supposed to be busy, we're telling ourselves we should be doing more and we don't ever let ourselves just have a break. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) And it's interesting because I almost said we should take breaks, right? So should can be used in positive ways, of course. I think similar to the word busy, that it really depends on the context and the intention behind it. But I also believe that there are other words that we can use. And I want to know more about why the word should, or even the idea around should, is, is it the word that you try not to use yourself similar to me? Or is it the meaning behind it mostly that you focus on in your personal life and with your clients? Oh, that's super interesting. I've actually never even thought about it that way before. I think it's the word. I might need to think this out a little bit, but I think it's the word because just saying should kind of, there's a piece in there that means because what you're doing isn't right or because what you're doing isn't enough. And so it's that should, you should be doing it differently than you are. But you're right, like how it's kind of funny where we say we should take more breaks. So in that way, maybe it could be used as a good thing. But I think maybe it's both, right? It's the word, but it's also the intention behind it. But so much of what I work on my clients is just being aware of the words that we use. Because And when we can connect what words we're using and the attention we have behind them, we become so much more aware of that intention. One other thing that I love along these lines is when we reflect on these shoulds, some of us feel like we have to make others feel happy even at our own expense. And also, we are encouraged to be happy all the time. So what we often can find ourselves feeling is if I'm not happy, I'm not doing it right. If other people are unhappy, I must be doing something wrong. And you said that women tend to be the primary caretakers of everyone all around us, and we should be grateful for what we have. 
So I imagine those things come up often and I would love to hear more about that from you. Yeah, there is so much to say about this. There's so many little pieces. So maybe we can just take one at a time. If we start from the should make sure the people around us are happy, I think that starts from a really young age. Like preschool, we're told that we should make sure that people are happy around us. I think it is, you brought up that it happens more commonly in women. I think that's totally true. I think it's that we are kind of raised to be nurturers, to be caregivers, to be mothers, to soothe, to make sure the people aren't riled up, to make sure they're happy and they're comfortable and they're entertained. I see it even in, like I said, in preschoolers where we're told, make sure you share with them, make sure you're doing this instead of ever questioning what we want. And so that's one piece of it is this should making all their people around us feel a certain way. But I have a tangent here. Can we go on a little tangent? Yes, I absolutely love tangents. So please tangent away. (laughs) Okay. And then we'll come back to the other pieces. But I think it's really important. Something that goes hand in hand with this that I work with my clients a lot is that we actually cannot control other people's. We can't go into their brain and change the way that they're thinking or feeling or doing. So when we're told that we should make sure that everybody around us is happy, that's actually impossible. And what a terrible thing to put on someone's shoulders, this impossible task. And yet we spend so much of our lives shooting ourselves to make everybody around us happy, which is unwinnable game. And so then we just feel like shit all the time because we're not doing what we should be doing and making everybody else happy. Yes, I'm over here typing out so many notes because I even love this phrase, shoulding. And this came up again in a past episode. It reminds me of the first time I heard that another woman said that to me in response to a question I asked. This was probably about 10 years ago. I was interviewing a woman and I asked, like, do you believe that we should blank, whatever the question was? And she said, you know, I don't believe that we should do anything. And I was raised in a way that my parents would always say, I'm not going to shoot on you, so don't shoot on me. (laughs) And I loved that phrasing because it was like, whoa. I mean, I remember... That was the first time I had ever heard anything like that. Like using shoulding, it kind of throws you off because it's not an actual grammatically correct phrase, but it helps me step back and say, oh, that makes so much sense. We spend so much of our lives shoulding ourselves to make others feel better, to make others blank, or virtually to control others. And I think that control piece is a really key element of this. We're trying to control ourselves and control others. Would you say so? Yeah, totally. Especially the controlling others part. Because like I said, we think that we should make them happy. So we have to act this certain way or say this certain thing so that they will be happy. But we're really just trying to control what they're doing, right? And in the process of that, we forget what we want. We forget to listen to ourselves, right? Because we're so focused outwards on trying to affect and change other people that we totally forget to own and have responsibility for how we are showing up to ourselves. We're forgetting what we want to do. We're forgetting what we like to do. We essentially just forget about us because we're only focused on the other people and controlling them. And it's really sad. Yes. And that's fascinating because I almost wonder, is that comforting to us? 
right? It doesn't feel better to focus on other people in either what we think they should do. We spend a lot of time, especially on social media. We're recording this episode on March 28th, 2022. And yesterday was the Oscars. And Tammy and I didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I was curious, Tammy, offline what your feelings were, because I was really struggling last night after what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock. And I was trying to process a lot of my emotions and I went on social media and man, the responses were so polarizing and so intense. I don't think I actually ended up feeling any better. I think I felt worse and woke up still feeling very confused. And if I had to summarize the responses I saw, it was a ton of people saying, what Will Smith should have done, what Chris Rock should or shouldn't have done. It was this should, 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 should from people that weren't even involved in this situation. And I feel like a lot of times we use social media, especially to react to other people, whether they're public figures or people that we know, we spend so much time focused on what others should do. And is that a way that we use to dodge responsibility for ourselves, to take the focus away from ourselves To your point, Tammy, it feels kind of pointless because we can't change it. We especially can't change what somebody already did in the past. So why do we spend so much time talking about what they should have done when that's impossible to change? Yeah. And I would argue that it's equally impossible to change what they do currently and in the future. We might say something, then they hear and they interpret it a certain way, and then it changes their behavior. But there's that piece in there where they step in and take accountability and responsibility for their actions. So I think it's equally impossible to change what somebody did in the past as it is to change what they're going to do in the future. But I totally also agree, yes, it is a way to take responsibility off of ourselves and we can blame our unhappiness on things outside of us instead of saying, what can I do right now for me that will make me happier or feel better or be able to move on? And so, yes, it is so much easier to point the finger at, well, he did this and she did that. And they said those things instead of like, you can acknowledge it. They said this and here's how I'm going to choose to feel about it. And here's how I'm going to choose to do something about it. Instead of saying, well, they did that. They behaved this way. And now I don't have to be in charge of what I do in return. And it is really funny that you brought up the Oscars last night because I was like, oh my gosh, are we going to talk about this? And I still feel really, really uncomfortable about it. And I'm still handling it and just kind of like processing it. But I just have to say that I don't even know what I want to say about it. But you're right, especially these days when we have internet and social media, it's so easy to sit back in our chair and point fingers and say how everybody else should be behaving And it's just, it's kind of a scary environment, actually. It does feel scary. And especially going on Twitter. I mean, I spend a lot of time on on Twitter these days and I find myself really enjoying it. I'm learning from people, having conversation, connecting. But when it comes to something polarizing, I feel deeply uncomfortable because it feels, it's like that public square, I suppose. Like maybe that's why social media has become what it is, is like human beings seem to at some point... However, our society is set up, we do have a public square where we want to like all gather together and share our opinions. And we still, in many ways, put people up on trials. And when we look back on history and the awful things that we would do to people publicly, like 
ex- public executions, a lot of us feel horrified by that. But if you look at a lot of the verbal violence that happens on social media, I think we're still doing that in a lot of ways. We're canceling people. We're shaming people. We're telling them what they should or shouldn't do. We're people share death threats on social media that are incredibly violent. We're still enacting all of these things that feel almost as brutal in a lot of ways, isn't it? It comes back around to my question of why the shoulds are even there. Like, why is it as human beings that we feel so self-righteous all the time? And what do we get from that, that human drive to share not only how we feel, but what we believe is right for others. I'm curious, Tammy, if you spend time reflecting or even studying kind of the historical reasons behind this behavior. I haven't really thought about it too much, but I do think that there is a part of it where it's a survival instinct to stay a part of the tribe. And so don't be too different. Don't stand out too much. Don't voice your opinion. Just stay in the tribe because it's way safer than being ostracized and made fun of if you speak your different opinion. And so I think our brain has this way, like if we're talking about self-shooting, which is what I deal with a lot with my clients, our brain likes to point out our, and I'm putting air quotes here, flaws and imperfections. Because if it does, then it frames it as, you know, you should be more outspoken, or you should be quieter, or you should be less argumentative, whatever that should is. So it finds our flaw, it shoulds us into not doing that so that we can stay safe and in the tribe and similar to everybody else, instead of standing out. And so I think that's the origination of the self-shooting. And then, yeah, maybe that just turned into shooting others to just... So maybe it came down from our parents who told us like, you should not do these things or you should do these things so you can stay safe and not be thrown out of the group. So that's my instant take on it. (laughs) I like that. And there was a great book I read that I will share now for anyone who's interested in the history behind it. I feel like I want to go back and reread it, especially after this conversation and after what happened yesterday. It's called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And it's well beyond politics and religion, but I think the author uses politics and religion as a way of discussing self-righteousness. And I was deeply fascinated. It's a rich book, so definitely worth a second read for me because it gets into a lot of the history and helped me understand it because sometimes I can even get into this place of self-righteous about the word should, right? Like, in a way, I'm saying we shouldn't say should. So I'm still caught up in what we should or shouldn't do. My words are just different, right? So I don't know if there's a way to fully get away from it because I'm someone that prefers to stay in the gray area. I don't really like taking sides. That feels uncomfortable to me. But I'm still kind of taking a side if I'm in the gray area, right? Like it's kind of impossible to not take a side or a stance and not fall on some opinion. And I'm kind of curious going back to when you said that you felt uncomfortable about what happened yesterday, Tammy, like we don't have to get into the perspectives because I think what happened at the Oscars is a pretty sensitive subject matter that I'm still trying to navigate. Not only are we hearing a lot of shoulds and shoulding, but a lot of us internalize it. I mean, that experience actually happened to me as a result. On Twitter, I responded to somebody sharing my feelings, not my opinion, but just like how I felt 
And all these people started coming at me and misinterpreting my words and my feelings. And I, I felt shame from that. I was like, I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. I shouldn't have said that, right? And I think there's probably a lot of people feeling, I mean, if I had to summarize that experience, it really ties into this conversation because there was so much shoulds. Not only what the people on stage at the Oscars should or shouldn't have done, but then all the responses and what people should or shouldn't have said in response to it. And it's like, you could probably filter it all out and boil it down to that word should in a lot of ways. And that can be really triggering. Because like I said, I think the shame that you feel about should or even the self-righteousness, right? If you feel like you should have done something and you did it in the way that you feel like you should have done, then your ego can become very inflated. I did the right thing. If you feel like you should have done something different, then you might internalize a lot of shame, guilt, or embarrassment around this. And that both can really carry with you. Yeah. And I think this is a good time when this happens to us, when we get a feedback or something to just be aware of what's coming up for us. So if this were my client and she made a post, because I work with my clients a lot on being scared to put themselves out there, scared to voice an opinion, scared to show their work. I work with a lot of artists. And so when we put ourselves out there and we get some kind of feedback, this is a really good opportunity to just say, okay, what were the words that were spoken to me? This is just a fact. We can find it on a transcript. We can look at it on Twitter, like just the factual words. What did the person say to me? And then take notice, what am I making that mean in my head? And so for in this example, you made it mean I shouldn't have said that. But that is a choice that we get to make. So let's say we say a comment on Twitter somebody replies, we put that automatically, like we look at that reply just for the factual basis that it is. Someone said, and you put quote marks. Then we get to go in our head and go, okay, how am I making this? What am I making this mean? And if I don't like the outcome, like, so if I'm making this mean something then makes me feel shame. And then when I feel shame, I kind of hide. I don't voice my opinion. I feel bad. I get quiet. If you don't like that result, what can we do differently? What is in our control? Our control, what we can do differently is how we interpret that, that the person said. So we look again, this person said, we put it in quote marks, that's the fact, that's the circumstance. Now we get to see, is there another way to interpret it that feels real and good to me, but that doesn't bring shame? And maybe for instance, that is something like, I am learning. I am a human who sometimes says it imperfectly. Sometimes I upset people without meaning to. And those lead to a feeling, at least in me, of something more of acceptance instead of shame. And when I'm in a place of accepting myself of what I have said or done, then I don't hide away as much. I don't quiet myself. I don't make myself feel bad. I just kind of say, I'm a human. I thought I was doing the right thing by expressing my emotion. Other people didn't like it. It's not a problem. It's not about me. Accepting yourself instead of shooting yourself and then at the end of the day, you just feel a little bit better. You're not living in that shame. So it's just, I think it lends us all a great opportunity to just see what we are making other people's words mean about us. And if we don't like how that feels, then is there a different way to interpret other people's words that doesn't make us feel so bad? That is really helpful because <laughs> what you described and just spoke through in response to my experience is something that I would like to consider more often because I even find myself in those moments 
with some level of self-awareness, but also trigger, and that causes a sense of panic. I think it comes back down to a lot of what we've discussed here about the survival. To me, when somebody says, tells me that I did the wrong thing, or they, in that specific instance, I felt misunderstood, but that's a core feeling, like a wound for me is feeling misunderstood. So of course my brain, oh, I was misunderstood. That's bad. What do I do? And I'm either going to go in the direction of hiding because feeling misunderstood feels really scary for me, or I'll go in the direction of trying to explain myself to become misunderstood. But that has started to feel so scary because I'll find myself caught in this cycle of making it worse, right? My experience has been that Like, let's just go to the tweet that I wrote, which was that in response to something somebody said about the situation at the Oscars, I responded that I thought it was heartbreaking. And my intention was that the situation felt heartbreaking for me. And my meaning behind heartbreaking was that like, it's heartbreaking to watch it from all these different angles. Like that was a way I would summarize how I felt watching all this play out last night. And so I kind of felt like it was an innocent statement and a pretty like neutral thing. But turns out (laughs) a number of people on Twitter that I don't know, these are not like my followers, these are complete strangers I've never interacted with. They started questioning what I meant by heartbreaking, but not in an inquisitive way, in like this accusatory way. And suddenly I find all these strangers getting so worked up about my use of the word heartbreaking in this scenario. And I felt shame and I felt like, okay, what do I do now? And I decided to delete my tweet because I didn't want to be bombarded with all these people's misinterpretation of me because that feels painful. And then I felt a little bit of guilt, like, oh, should I not have deleted what I posted? Was that the bad choice? Like, I'm not trying to hide from my words, but I was trying to protect myself from these daggers of other people coming at me because to your point, like what they were saying felt it was bringing up shame within me. And I didn't want to deal with the pain of being misunderstood by strangers on the internet. So I decided to bow out. Right. But you're absolutely right. Like I'm sure some of the things that people said were pretty neutral as well, but they didn't feel neutral to me. And so I could go back to it and re-examine some of those words And it's so interesting. Like, I wish I could switch my brain entirely over to see it as more neutral. And I'm curious, how do you guide people through? This is like a relatively small situation, Tammy, but like, there's still a lot to learn from this. So how do you guide someone in shifting their reactions, I suppose, instead of immediately feeling triggered? How do you learn to observe it more neutrally? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this. And it's really important to note that the example that I gave is kind of like a simplified version where our thoughts come before our feelings and our actions. I will say that there is a trigger response that can happen on our body where we feel the feeling before we even know what we're interpreting it to mean, before that thought happens. And I am still learning a lot about this. There is a lot more information coming out about this that I am really working on. So the example that I gave works in situations where there hasn't been trauma in the past that like instantly brings up that triggered emotional response. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. I tend to start with the just simplified version that works in a lot of circumstances, but not all. So a couple of things is 
that it's interesting when you were describing the story of what happened and you said that you thought it was innocent what you posted, but then your thought about that changed according to what other people interpreted it as. But you thought it was innocent to you. And so here's where we sort of lose a little bit of empowerment over what we say is when we let other people's thoughts about our words change what we thought about them. You had an innocent intent. You weren't trying to hurt anybody. You were just expressing your emotion. And so it's just interesting to see how now just because somebody didn't like what you said, now you're like, oh, wait a minute. It wasn't innocent. I shouldn't have said it. And now you put all of this blame on you. And that is all optional. And I say that with love. But that's what us humans are conditioned to do because we're supposed to make everybody happy. We don't want to ruffle feathers. Don't rock the boat. Don't make anybody upset. And it's impossible. If we think about it this way, it's literally impossible to say something like an opinion without upsetting someone in the world. There are billions of people. There are going to be people that are upset about what you say. And the question is, what do we want to do about that? Do you want to shame yourself and tell yourself you did it wrong? Or do you want to say, I did that with the best of intentions. I didn't mean to hurt anybody and I'm sticking to it. I said it, it was my opinion and I stand by it. And there's a lot of other interpretations in between. But it's just interesting to note that our initial reaction when somebody is bothered by what we say is to make it that we did something wrong rather than maybe they just don't understand my point of view. Another thing that you brought up is whether or not to delete. And that is 100% your choice, right? So sometimes in order to comfort that emotional triggered response that we have where you were feeling like the shame, then okay, fine. We can totally remove ourselves from the situation. Or we can stay there and we can kind of work through it and find that other thought that wouldn't bring you that emotional triggered response. But that's 100% your option to say, you know what, this isn't working for me. This feels dangerous. This feels scary. I'm going to safely remove myself. 100% your choice. And another thing, I'm sorry I'm going on and on, but I just have so much to say about this, is when we do find ourselves having that emotional triggered response, One kind of thing we can do is just kind of put your hand on your chest, skin to skin, and just ground yourself and say, I am feeling whatever that is. I am feeling shame because this person on Twitter was upset with what I said. This is a natural, normal human feeling and it's okay. And so just to remind yourself that and to remind your brain, this is not a problem. This is just one of those parts of life. It's one of those emotions that we're going to feel sometimes as humans and that it is safe. And just to ground yourself skin on skin, I find that that is a really helpful way to just acknowledge that yucky feeling, to allow it to be there and to remind yourself that you are safe to feel it. And then back to just that kind of basic level of question is when I'm working with my clients, we do sort of what we did here is we will write down what the person said in quotes so that there's no interpretation, there's no emotion attached to it. Those are just words that were spoken. They're just vowels and syllables that come out into the air and our ears hear them. And then we say, we work through it. And what were you thinking when you read that? And how did that feel in your body? And then what did you do when you felt that in your body? And do you like the results? So we literally go through it step by step to just bring that awareness. So we can't go back in time. We can't go back to the moment when you read that Twitter response, but we can learn how to start becoming aware of those feelings and thoughts that come up when you read other people's comments. And then so in the future, you're like, oh, wait, 
I see that I'm getting triggered here. Why is that? What am I thinking about this that's making me feel triggered? Do I want to create safety for myself right now? So it just becomes this tool where in the future, you can use it to take that pause of awareness and safety for yourself. This is all so helpful. Thank you for taking the time to help me reflect on that specific situation because it's certainly an example of my response to a lot of similar situations. So it has a bit of a universal application. And there's a couple of things you said that were especially helpful in the framing of this is even using the word dangerous is a lot of the emotion that I feel in those situations, they do feel unsafe to me and they're scary. But when I try to break down why I feel that way, it ties into something else you said, which is it feels unsafe when I do something that seems to make someone feel unhappy. And it's like, okay, I need to protect myself and that other person. And then it's like, I feel shame for being misunderstood or I feel shame for bringing out a negative emotion from somebody else. I feel shame for making someone angry. And so there is that burden of, okay, what do I do? Am I trying to feel understood to make them feel better or to make me feel better? Yeah, this is really interesting. I just want to point out that a lot of this is social conditioning, that it is our job to make sure that nobody is upset around us. And I'm just calling bullshit on it. It's just bullshit. Because first of all, it's impossible to go into someone's brain and make them feel a certain way. We can't wire the connections and make the neurons fire to make them feel a certain vibration in their body, which is a feeling. Impossible. So we don't even have the ability to control how they feel, first of all. And it's not our job, right? Like I have a couple things to say here about the social conditioning of it, but we are taught that we have to make sure that everybody around us is safe and happy and soothed. Part of that is the social conditioning that we're supposed to be happy all the time. And so when someone in our orbit, in our interactions is unhappy, that it's not okay, that something has gone wrong. And I'm calling bullshit on that too. Our life is meant to be lived in happiness and joy and all the things on the air quote, happier side of the spectrum or more positive side of the spectrum. But life is also all about the fear and the sadness and the anxiety and the desperation. Life is all of those things. And it's just a half life if we're only trying to be positive all the time. I get so upset when I see all those signs in the stores like good vibes only, no bad days, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. We do have bad days. We do have heartbreak. We do have severe sadness and loss in addition to the severe gratitude and excitement. And so because we're taught that it's not okay to be unhappy, that goes hand in hand with, and it's our job to make sure that they're not unhappy right? Because something has gone wrong. Something is wrong in the neighborhood if somebody's upset. And I always like to come back to Dita Von Teese had this quote about, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but it's basically something about you can be the ripest, juiciest peach in the world, and there will still be people that don't like peaches. And that's what I was saying earlier. If you are coming out as a human and giving some kind of opinion or some kind of statement, there will be people that don't like it. And it's your choice if you want to quiet yourself or if you want to say, this is how I stand. I have my own back. This is how I feel. And if you don't like it, that's really too bad. Doesn't mean we can go out and be jerks and call everybody names. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we have a choice on how we want to show up 
and we can allow other people to be adult enough to have their own opinions and their own feelings about what we say without trying to make sure that they're happy about what we say. Absolutely. It still feels really tough to navigate for me though. And what I'm taking away from a lot of what you're saying is it feels tough because of all this social conditioning. Where I get lost is personally and professionally because absolutely I am one of those people who I feel the pressure to make people happy. I feel pleasure when I make people happy and I feel deep pain when I feel responsible for someone being unhappy, right? That from what I'm taking away is part of this social conditioning and it's so frustrating because then life is not about my happiness first. But we're also, to your point, several times in this episode, there's that gender issue of women being taught that it's selfish to put ourselves first. So then there's like another layer of guilt is I'm unhappy, but maybe it's not about me. So I shouldn't worry about being unhappy. I should be focused on making other people feel happy and that'll then make me feel more fulfilled. But if it's impossible to control other people's happiness, then it almost feels impossible to be happy ourselves. Amen, sister. Yeah. Because basically when you're saying, I'm going to put my feelings aside so that I can help them be happy, you're just totally dishonoring your own system. You're not trusting that your desires and your wishes are valid because you're so worried about them being happy, even if it comes at the expense of you, that you just totally tell yourself your feelings aren't valid self. Your wants and your desires aren't valid because we're not going to listen to them because we're going to spend our time trying to make those people happy. And because it's impossible, it's never ending and we never stop that cycle of trying to make them happy. And so then our, like I said earlier, like ourselves, our inner wisdom, our inner guidance, our inner desires gets ignored and lost. And the more that we ignore our own wants and wishes and desires, the quieter they get and the more they recede because they feel like they aren't valuable. So once it gets to this point where you've had decades of honoring others' wishes at the expense of your own, it is a little harder to break out of, I think, because your inner voice has gotten so quiet that you might not even be in touch sometimes with what it is that you want in this situation. Do you want to say no to going to that event, even though it might hurt their feelings? A hundred percent, especially in my life right now. That is something that comes up a lot is I find myself not even sure who I am or what I want. That's so sad, not just for me, but I know I'm not alone in that. I'm like, that is really sad (laughs) that so many people go about life feeling this way. And no wonder there's so much burnout and anxiety and depression. And it's like, we're kind of told all these conflicting messages because we also have this motto of put the oxygen mass on yourself first, right? We hear that all the time. But at the same time, we also hear take care of others, like don't be selfish. And I want to go back to, you mentioned you work with a lot of artists, Tammy. And this is where it's also been tricky for me. So I'm very curious to hear about the artistic side of this is, My work, I wouldn't say quite that it falls into the artist category, although my work is very rooted in the entertainment world. As a podcaster, you're technically entertaining and educating, and there's that fine line there. I find myself questioning very often, like, 
not sure what to do. I'm like, oh my gosh, I said something on this podcast episode and somebody wrote me a message and said that it bothered them, right? Like, now what do I do? Do I apologize? And actually this ties back into the, we could go back to the Oscar speech, right? That Will Smith gave after the event. So for those that I imagine most people know about this, but just to be clear framing of this is that the incident happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock very close to the time that Will Smith won the award for best actor. And it was really fascinating because as an audience member, you're still like trying to process what happened. And then this man wins an award. A lot of intensity around that. But then it seemed like everybody was holding their breath, waiting to hear how Will Smith was going to respond. And if he would even respond to it in his speech, which he did, but he didn't apologize to Chris Rock. And a lot of people seem to be a bit surprised or disappointed that he didn't apologize for it. He did apologize to the Academy and he said some other things to kind of explain it. And it was a conflicting thing because in my head, I'm thinking, wow, like, did he feel like he shouldn't apologize for what he did? Like, there's a lot of pressure to apologize for something like that, right? But maybe sometimes we go overboard in our apologies. What if he really felt like he did the right thing? Let's just take like the domestic violence side out of this because that, as you mentioned, is incredibly triggering. I don't know if we can take it out, Tammy. I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Let's say if we could take out the physical violence that happened and just make it about some a man that did something that a lot of people interpreted as something he should regret and apologize for. What if he did not believe that he did something wrong? Should he still apologize for? I mean, here I am using the word should. Does it make sense for him to apologize in order to make other people feel better? What if he didn't apologize because he wanted to stand up for himself instead of trying to make other people feel better for his actions? I don't know if this question makes sense, Tammy, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's really interesting because I help my clients have their own back. They make a decision, they do something, and then are they going to be their own biggest fan, their number one support system? Because I believe that sort of our, I'm going to go real deep here, our sort of purpose is to be able to find absolute ruthless love for ourselves including all of our imperfections and flaws and fuck-ups, right? Can we at the end of the day say, you know what, self, you messed up a little bit or you said something a little bit wrong, you did something that maybe you're not proud of, but can you love yourself anyway? Because I feel like that's one of the biggest tests that we have on this earth, on this planet, is against all odds, against all the things going against us, which mostly is our own mind, right? We're the worst critics to ourselves. Can we, in spite of all that, find absolute love and acceptance for ourselves? And here's why I think it's important. When we can fully 100% love and accept ourselves, then we can do that for those around us. We can love the people in our orbit just as they are without trying to change them, without trying to get them to do things differently or say things differently. We can love them for who they are exactly how they show up, we can love them. Doesn't mean we have to approve or like condone their actions, but we can love them for the human, the imperfect, flawed human that they are. And so even 
all of my personal thoughts about this Will Smith situation aside, if he felt like he was proud of his actions, and I would say 100%, don't even dare think about apologizing. Have your own back. If you did it and you're proud of it and you like what you did, then stand up for yourself and say, you know what? That felt right to me and I'm happy I did it. And if you're upset about it, that's on you. Because remember, we can't change other people's feelings, right? So his actions didn't cause everybody in the audience to be upset. It was their interpretations of the action. So knowing that what you say can't affect, like it's impossible for you to go into their brain and make them have these vibrations. Is that how you wanted to show up? And if it is, then have your own back. If it's not, however, if you're not proud of how you showed up, and look, the measurement of being proud of how you showed up, I don't want that to be measured by external people. That's not the measurement. That's not the measurement because we can't control them. The measurement is, is if I look at my words and my actions, am I proud of how I showed up? And if I am, then hell yeah, you better believe that I'm going to stick up for myself and I'm going to have my own back. If I'm not proud of how I showed up and I'm the measurement of that, when if I look at what I did, do I like what I said? Do I like how I acted? If the answer is no, then how do I want to show up now? Do I want to apologize? Do I want to explain myself? Do I want to bring awareness? What do I want to do now? Because it's already been done but what do I want to do now? But it's really important to note in there that the measure of how we showed up and how proud we are doesn't come from external people. Because if we let other people's reactions determine how we feel about what we did, we will never, ever win. Because remember, there are always going to be people in the world who don't like what you said or did. Always. So we will never win. We will never feel happy about ourselves and what we did if we are basing it on somebody being upset. That is very powerful. It's simultaneously so simple and yet so complex. And I think it comes down to that societal conditioning because it's like, wow, okay, great. Next time I do something, I just have to be rooted in how I feel in that moment. But there is just so much pressure to kind of conform to other people. And that's part of, I think, what this Oscar moment why it's had such a ripple effect on people because I don't know if there is any kind of consensus we can come to. It's that each of us as individuals are interpreting the situation based on our own viewpoint in the world. And it almost feels useless to discuss it, if that makes sense. I'm curious about that too, Tammy. Like, Does discussing things with other people help us or hurt us? Because for someone like me, I have had a history of looking to other people for answers instead of looking to myself. Or I will know how I feel, but still want to hear other people's opinions. And if they are different than mine, I will find myself altering mine. It's just like I already said earlier, right? That is my pattern. And I've come to a point in my life where that doesn't seem to make any sense based on what you just said. It's actually not serving me. And so I'm constantly in this state of feeling insecure about things. I'm like, well, this is how I feel, but I'm not sure if how I feel is quote right. But I, from what you just said, Tammy, isn't how we feel the ultimate version of right because it's right for us. It's our truth because we feel it. I guess where it starts to feel complex is all of these times in our life that impact others. And again, not to make this all about the Will Smith thing, but just because it's such a fresh example, he might have felt 
proud and justified in what he did, but he literally hurt somebody else. He physically hurt somebody else with his actions. So it impacted somebody else. So then the next question, Tammy, is maybe you have a truth, but if that truth is hurting another person, then what? (laughs) You know, like that's where it becomes complicated. It's not just a feeling you have or an opinion you have if it's hurtful to somebody else in such a clear-cut way. That makes sense. Yeah, I think physical violence is definitely a different situation than that emotional pain. But to get to your question about is it useless to have a discussion, this is the key thing. It's what do you want to get out of the discussion? Is it do you want to be heard for your true feelings? Do you want to just be heard? Or do you want to change the other people's opinion? If the discussion, if your intent behind having the discussion is to get them to agree with you, then it's you're going about it all wrong. Because remember, we can't change what people think, right? But a discussion is useful if you're going into it going, I know I'm not going to change anybody's opinion. They might change their mind, but it's because of what their brain is saying. Their brain is saying, oh, maybe my first opinion was wrong. Maybe I'm going to change it. But your words themselves don't change their opinions. So if you're going into a discussion saying, I'm not expecting that I'm going to change anybody else's viewpoint. I just want to be heard as a human with valuable opinions. Then yes, discussions are incredibly useful. But if you go into it going, I'm going to be pissed as hell if I don't get these people to see it my way, then it's fruitless. And all it does is create angst in you because you're upset that they're not changing their mind. And I think it's really interesting that you are from what I am saying to you, then you're taking that to mean that you're kind of doing it wrong, where you're trying to appease the people. It's really important to just look at are the results in your life that you're getting, are you happy with those? And if you are, then you don't need to change anything, right? If you are happy with how you show up in your relationships and your interactions with people, if you are happy with that, then you don't need to change anything. You're not doing it wrong at all. The question becomes is, am I happy at the end of the day with how I showed up into that interaction or that conversation? And if you're not, then that's where it might be worth it to take time to introspect and to figure out what's going on there that's making you not show up the way you want to show up. But I think it's really important to look at the results that you're getting. And if you like them, then who cares if you're doing it right or wrong? You're doing it your way and you like the results. So that's it. And I think one other thing I wanted to say is I feel like A lot of people take it the wrong way when I say to go out and show up into the world without regard to other people's opinions or how it's going to affect them. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying just to know that you don't have responsibility for how they're going to feel. That is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to look at yourself and say, how do I want to show up as a human on this earth? Do I want to be physically violent? Do I want to be emotionally immature? Do I want to call people names? Do I want to raise my voice? Do I want to curse? Do I want to be loving to people without regard for how they're going to act about it? So even things like, I want to do something nice for someone. Are you doing it because you want them to be happy and like you? Or are you doing it because you love them and you want to do it for them, even if they don't say thank you, even if they don't act like they appreciate it? I think it's really important to look at what outcome you want from it. So a lot of times we'll do things nice for people, but we feel kind of resentful because if you like break it down, you're like, oh, wait, I did all these things for her and she can't even text me a thank you. And we're getting upset and resentful, but it's because 
we did this nice thing expecting a certain result from them instead of just saying, I'm going to just focus on what I can control, how I want to show up. I want to show up with love to do these things for this person, regardless of what they do afterwards. It's not about what they do for me. It's about how do I want to show up for them? So it works on both sides of the coin, on the sort of positive and the negative. We can only control how we show up and we don't get to control how they show up in return. So are we going to be proud at the end of the day of how we showed up to that other person? I could just listen to you talk about all of this on and on, Tammy, because it's really helpful and simultaneously fascinating. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, there's so much to learn and there's so much to unlearn here too. That's where I find myself constantly. I'm like, wow, okay. I have been doing a lot of things that haven't served me because of the way that I learned them. So I'm trying to let go and unlearn all of that and then take some new information in and experiment with it and see how it makes me feel. And it, it also comes down to that simplified goal of happiness. That seems to me at the core, the root of all of this is finding our own personal happiness. And I love the title of your podcast, speaking of which, if you, the listener, are sitting here thinking, I just could hear Tammy talk on and on. Thank goodness she has her own podcast. And it's called The Show Up Show, which is just the perfect name because it's about showing up for yourself. And Tammy, I'm so grateful for how you've articulated this and taught me and shared your perspectives and the way that you help people navigate this. It's deeply valuable because of what I have taken away personally is how much I need to show up for myself and find what it is that makes me happy without making it constantly tied to other people. And I think some of the things you've said today has helped me understand that on a level that I just hadn't quite understood before. And it shows to the power in which you have learned through all of your work. How long have you been doing your work? And I'm, I'm kind of curious, like what led you not just to your podcast, but all the work that you do with clients? How did you get to this place in your life? And why do you feel so passionate about helping others with this? Yeah. One thing, my podcast is called the Show Up Society podcast, not the Show Up Show. So just... Thank you. Yes. 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 But it is because I teach people to show up for themselves, right? And I just want to say one thing before I get to my story of how I did it. But it is the most freeing and loving thing that you can do when you learn how to show up to conversations and relationships as your full self. Because if you can accept and love your full self with your own thoughts and ideas and opinions, then like I said earlier, but it's so true, you can allow people to be totally themselves. So then there's this fantastic connection between two humans who may not see the same way on all the things, but they are accepting and loving with each other. I work with so many clients. I've done the work with myself for so many relationships where I decide I'm going to show up as who I am, vulnerably, imperfectly flawed, all the things. And it ends up with a deep, deep, rich, loving relationship with the people because we're not hiding. We're not forming ourselves to fit the shape that we think the other person wants us to fit. We're not so worried about trying to make their happiness. And it sounds so selfish, but it truly is one of the best gifts you can give to the people in your life by showing up as authentically you, because then it allows them to do the same. And there's this whole 
world of freedom that opens up. So that's, I just wanted to make sure that this is not just all about selfish. The, the ultimate result is that we have better, more loving, more honest relationships with everybody around us. So how I came to this is I was a running coach for 13 years. I also had my own stationary business. And during COVID, when everything was shut down, I wasn't able to coach my people. We didn't get to meet in person. And I missed that human-to-human connection desperately. And it's funny because I was down in the dumps about my stationary business. I sold wholesale to a lot of mom and pop stores, independent stores across the country. And when quarantine hit, we all were shut down. I just kind of had a down in the dumps week or two when I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, this is over. My business is over. I'm not going to sell anything. And I was working with a life coach and she questioned the reality of that. And she was like, are people not going to buy cards anymore? Maybe cards are actually more important now that we don't get to see each other. Maybe communication is this is a new way. And so I just had that new thought about my business and I tripled my income in 2020, even though it was all mom and pop shops that a lot of them were shut down, some of them permanently. And all of that was because of the way that I thought about it differently. And so that thinking about it differently and seeing the results that I had combined with me missing the human to human interaction is what helped me shift to just doing mindset coaching. And so I coach a lot of runners because I was a runner and running coach for so long. I also coach a lot of creative entrepreneurs because that's what I'm used to. I had my own business for so many years, but I kind of skipped a little step in there. It's back to November, 2019. So before COVID happened, I have and had a great life. I have a husband, three kids, two dogs, a home, cars. Our kids go to great schools. We are all have the privilege of being educated. I had all these amazing things. And yet I was going to bed at night, treating myself like shit and feeling horrible, spending an hour in bed each night. You should have done this, should have done that. You didn't do enough of this. You were too loud. You were too much of this. And I felt horrible about myself. It was this internal suffering. And then on top of that, I felt like an asshole for being miserable when I had such a great life. You should be grateful. Why can't you just be happy with what you have? So it was this double layer of I felt like shit. And then I made myself feel shittier because I felt like shit and I shouldn't have. And so it was just this internal suffering that I just knew had to stop. And that's when I first reached out to have a life coach of my own, who is the one that then helped me during the times of quarantine to build my business. So anyway, all the pieces came together. And now I feel like I have absolutely the best job on earth because I get to see people make these huge transformations and show up for themselves. And then the trickle down effect is insane. Like the clients that I have with kids or people that buy their products or anybody in their orbit, it's just insane. Like the ripple effects that it has on their happiness too. So yeah, I feel like I am the luckiest person in the world to get to do what I do. It is really amazing. I love your website, by the way. And and thank you for correcting me on your show name. And your website is showupsociety.com, which I'm going to link to along with the podcast. Anything we've referenced today in regards to this conversation is going to be in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I love the name Show Up Society. That's actually even better than Show Up Show, how it sat in my mind. To me, if we can have a whole society that shows up for themselves, to your point, that would be so powerful. And I feel like I'm just going to be contemplating so much of what you said here today, Tammy, because it makes me wonder, 
how many people aren't showing up for themselves and the ripple effects that has had and the pressure that we have on ourselves and that we put onto others and just kind of like this domino effect when we're focused on shooting and maybe it's all just a reaction to the pressure that we have. So we feel like we should do things and we want other people to do things and the control that we have over other. I mean, it's just like so much pressure and I'm fascinated with how much burnout and anxiety we have. And I wonder how much we could lessen that if we started showing up for ourselves and released the shoulds. And I'm deeply grateful for the work that you do, Tammy. I just want to say thank you. I love the way that you articulate it and the power of your words. And I feel there was just so much to take away from this episode. I was furiously writing notes in the background. Like, how do I put this all together? Because there's so much juiciness here. And again, I'm always so grateful that there's transcripts of each episode because then anyone can go back and find the words. And I'm a very visual person. So being able to read Tammy's words is something I'm very grateful for. So if you, the listener, are visual as well, please go to the show notes at wellevator.com. Please visit showupsociety.com and check out Tammy's amazing podcast and learn about the coaching that she offers there. And I would love to hear from you, the listener, if you have any further thoughts that you would like to share. And hopefully we can have a nice discussion about this. And there's certainly a lot to discuss here. So don't shy away from that and reaching out to me and or Tammy. And Tammy, thanks again for spending the time to share all of these words of wisdom today. Thank you so much for all the great questions and discussion that we got to have today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.